I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. Hello everyone, welcome back to 2021. That's right, we're back for more banter about everything early education in Australia and beyond. Thanks to everyone uh, for joining us again. If you're a returning listener to the show uh, and if you're just discovering the podcast, welcome back. Uh, We have been away for a little while. We're starting a little later in the year than we normally do. I think um, we might talk a bit about what we all did in our summer holidays over the break, but um, I don't know if Lisa and Leanna feel the same way, but it didn't feel like a huge break, unfortunately, and where I don't feel like I'm starting the year as tired as when I finished 2020. But anyway, it is Absolutely a pleasure to be back uh, speaking with you all again, but in particular, a pleasure to be speaking to my two podcast pals who I've been having withdrawals from for the past three and a half months. So, uh, Lisa Bryant. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. It's, it's, I'm, I'm here, Lisa. I'm, I'm plugged in. We're recording. That's, that might be the best I can do right Is now. Is that all I can ask for that you <laughs> present? I think that's all any of us can ask. If we're still turning up, we're still doing the things we normally do, I think that's a huge success. True. And True. obviously Leanne Gibbs. Leanne, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Liam. And it's amazing that we're... They're actually making a start of the year in March. Do you think that's the same for everybody? I think, look, we normally do like a sort of February to like sort of early December, November. 2021 might have to be like, I don't know, March to May or something. Yeah, we'll say we've done a whole year. Does that sound fair? I can't believe it's already March. Like, isn't it just January? Yeah. But before Aren't we even. We coming up to Christmas holidays soon. <laughs> before we even think, this is now, we are. We're heading into our sixth year of doing this podcast, you two. Len, can I just ask something? I've always suspected this, but I think it's time I asked. Are you sure that that one listener that was still listening to us is still listening? Look, I mean, there's only so many fake comments and things I can, and like fake, fake Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts I can create to like promote the show (laughs) and say they like it. So I think there is one or two out there. I think we, we sort of posted we were returning today. We I think we actually had a couple of people saying they had withdrawals, which made me very worried for them. But <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. We're like a we're like a standard in people's life. Like, you know, the I don't know, it's quite nice, that continuity. It's like bad traffic or something. It's not great, but it's just like a regular <laughs> part of the routine and when it's gone we feel a bit odd. <laughs> and let's face it, it went all, we went all through COVID, so we're kind of like nothing changed really for us <laughs> in this podcast. No, it's true. No, moving moving to the online work environment was not a struggle for. We didn't no. have to strategically pivot too much. No. <laughs> well, so I mean, we we I think look, this first episode back is going to be pretty pretty light. I think we're going to a we always have to remember how to do this at the start our first episode of the year, and it's often a bit of a catch up episode, or we looked other things we missed but I thought you know given we sort of ended the year with that spirit of everyone coming together and uh you know and and we actually ended the year thinking that and we 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 sort of jinxed ourselves we actually thought we were all going to catch up at Lisa's place over the break and unfortunately that didn't happen because of COVID restrictions and bloody COVID but um I did get the opportunity to go and visit Lisa I thought we might do a bit of a what we did on our summer holidays a bit like we're handing in our report to the listeners on on our first day back um so, I mean, I want to just kick off by saying it was lovely to 
see Lisa. I didn't get to see Leanne, unfortunately, but um, to head down to uh, the coast and, and see your beautiful place, Lisa, by the way, but to see the, 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 the podcast den itself, to see where you record, <laughs> where we make you swelter during the, the hot nights recording the podcast. It was an absolute privilege and a joy. And it was a privilege and a joy to have you too, Liam. And you got the whole gang. And your family. Yes, right. You got the whole gang. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was. Let's not forget. I visited too, Lisa. I'm going to be hurt if you don't say it was. Nice oh, to oh see sorry. Me. I was going to let you say that. That was the highlight of your. <laughs> it was the well. highlight of my summer break. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it was lovely to actually. I saw both of you, and I saw. Another person that the podcast is very close to, Carl, <laughs> at a separate time. So we didn't all manage to meet together, but we did have bits of me. tells me that Lisa's keeping us all separate. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she's, she's that's telling... That's how I organise COVID restrictions <laughs> in every state. <laughs> uh, that's right. She's telling us all individually, like where she, she's our best friend. But is that what she's told you? Leanne, like separately, yeah. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's yeah. all coming, it's Number all falling one. apart for Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, I introduced, I, I said hi to Lisa first. So why don't I check in with Leanne first? Leanne, how was your break since we last spoke? Yeah, it was really nice. It just, it seems so weird that it's March. I, I'm still sort of waiting to get started with work. Um, but obviously, I am. I have started some weeks ago. But it was nice. I had a break. Did a bit of gardening. Hovered around the house, you know. It was. Um, I think COVID's maybe made us more home-based, right? Not going away so much. Um, and apart from that highlight of going to Lisa's place, which I had, and Le- and Lisa's highlight, so she told me. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think lots of maybe I did a bit of writing, and I think that that might be it. It was great, lovely. Hang on, I think you kind of are forgetting something major. What was that? Remember what you became or almost became? Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it is It is pretty much official. Yes. It is official? Yay! Apparently, apparently, yes. So um, that's exciting. So I did actually achieve a good outcome from my PhD examination. So with the support of uh, all of my wonderful people around me and my podcast pals and all the beautiful <laughs> services that um, were involved in the research, I, they, the university has seen fit to um, bestow me with a PhD. Oh, Lisa, I don't even think we can be sarcastic about this. I think that's just <laughs> sincere congratulations, Leanne. I, I, I'm struggling to find something sarcastic to say, and I can't think of it. That's just such we a huge achievement. We changed the name of the podcast, though, aren't we? Didn't you suggest the Doctor and the Hangers On? Isn't that what we're going to officially <laughs> yeah, refer right. to? I think we definitely need to update the cover with a big Leanne's <laughs> Leanne listed first in huge letters with the Doctor in front. So I'm working on that in Photoshop as uh, we speak. And she well, also needs a, a, a cap on. Oh, I'll get Annabelle to update the artwork. That's right. I would really like that. That would be fantastic. But Mm -hmm. like all good um, things like this, there'll still be some time before graduation because, you know, there's no graduations at the moment. Um, So it's going to be a while. Can we refer to you as Dr. Gibbs in the meantime? I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I believe that it's all kind of the only thing that's left to do is is get that sort of, you know, official email to say uh, approve for graduation. But as of today, I believe that this is a fact. 
I'll tell you a tip that um, I know another doctor in the sector does. Every time they fly anywhere, they book under the name of Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And I've seen it work. They get much better treatment. Well, my worry would be that you'd be on a flight or something and someone would say, you know, is there a doctor here? And I'd be hanging over someone saying, tell me about your leadership skills. Tell me what they are. (laughs) Come back to me. Or it's that, that classic joke about calling for a doctor on the plane. So if there's some sort of early childhood le- leadership crisis on a plane, Leanne, you're, you're, you're re- ready, raring to go. That's it. And as my brother said to me, so what are you actually qualified in? And I said, well, I, what are you qualified to do now? And I said, what I'm qualified to do is when you ask me a question, I'm qualified to say, let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is, I mean, sincere congratulations, Leanne. I mean, I am now regretting, of course, going to you first because I think that's going to be pretty difficult to top in terms of what you did on the summer holidays is finish the PhD. And go, I... Well, it was, it was the long, long holiday, right? Because it lasted four years. So. <laughs> yep. Um, well, what about you, Lisa? Beyond uh, hosting oh, apparently every member everything. of the early childhood community at your place. <laughs> well, I did do that. But apart from that, every single thing I planned was cancelled because of COVID. So I was going away. I was having a big birthday party. I was having the three of you all up in you know the one hit. All of those things were cancelled or delayed. And then the actual two weeks that I blocked out for my holidays it poured down rain. So the whole <laughs> bliss of living at a beach um, and being able to use that in the holidays didn't work because it was raining. So <laughs> it was a bit of a washout, but I made up for it after the holidays by going on holidays again <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and kind of fitting it in. But um, I also had... Um, Lots of work that, um, you know, I had to give for clients and um, some of it became very complex. So I was kind of pleased to be able to work a bit when I didn't think I would and have time off when I had time off. But, yeah, not nearly as interesting as becoming a doctor. (laughs) No, and unfortunately my report has to be probably pretty similar to yours, Lisa. We had a few plans to duck away in that week between Christmas and New Year and uh, just sort of became uh, impossible and the desperate attempt to avoid quarantining for 14 days in a small house with uh, with two young children sort of uh, <laughs> overrode every other um, instinct to get away. So, um, and then it was kind of straight back to work. So it did feel, it just feels a little bit like we sort of missed that break, but we did, similar to you, Lisa, kind of reschedule something at the end of January and we came down and um, saw you, but I had a, had a very nice time at the at the coast and do those kind of things but it just it does feel like it's gone very very quickly that time and we're all kind of straight back into the usual um it it does but didn't you also get a promotion of sorts during your holidays well right yeah right at the start of the year so it's only acting at the moment but um we and look, we, we, we're all acting. We're, we're all, all acting. acting. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's all. It's all. It, we're all imposters at what one variation or the other. But um, the, I mean, the good news is less about me sort of taking on a bit of a leadership role for now, but that um, my colleague Anna, who's an early childhood teacher and has been a centre director and has worked in leadership roles in early education, is now the, the acting CEO of Northside, which is um, I think great news for Anna, but also just great news I think for sector leadership roles, which. Probably Absolutely. Will be, yeah, which might be a nice... Absolutely fantastic. I think it's a great, 
I just want to make the point that um, Anna is infinitely qualified for this position, but these decisions aren't always made, and I think that that is fantastic. Yeah, and also she'll do it so well. Oh, 100% agree. And look, probably not a bad... Now, whether or not you'll do her job so well, though... Yeah, that's, that's looking less and less likely. Very on that one. Looking less and less <laughs> likely, Lisa, to be honest. But um, I'm much more, for anyone who knows me at all, and I know you two do, I'm much more happy with behind-the-scenes writing and uh, tapping away on a computer than the more formal front-facing leadership stuff. But I will do it for a short period of time while all that other stuff gets sorted out. But I think that's actually probably not a bad segue into... So the way we wanted to structure tonight was um, the the main thing we're going to talk about will be... um, 2020, I think, was a really challenging year for people, and uh, particularly the first. Oh, really? Few, yeah, just people may have heard of this COVID thing, but um, almost in you know, exactly a year ago, it sort of all sort of descended down on top of us. But for the sector itself, in particular, it was incredibly challenging. But we're also sort of having the same arguments again, I think, around, over, over and over again about advocacy and the, people acknowledging the sector is broken, but sort of not coming up with the right solutions to fix it. So I think it's very easy for the peasantist camp, which Lisa and I are sort of proud standards, standard bearers for, to uh, be sort of reigning supreme at the moment. But we want to sort of turn that around, particularly in our first episode of 2021. We wanted to actually maybe shift the focus to what are we maybe optimistic about in 2021, or what are we thinking is a good thing we're looking forward to? Um, we haven't told each other what they might be, so we're going to sort of chat through those uh, in a bit. But it did seem strange, given the events of this year so far and the very you know advocacy uh, focused nature of this podcast and I think our willingness to tackle issues that affect early education but maybe not be seen to directly relate it right at the start we've also in previous we've always had an episode on International Women's Day and we've sort of touched on a variety of issues around that I think it would seem strange not to touch on those issues uh, given I mean uh, 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 it's hard to know how to describe i guess but given the you know pretty appalling start to the year we've seen in this area cluster fracas um that's the word you're looking for not a bad one omni shambles is another one i've been um, particularly (laughs) looking at but yeah i think so if i just want to say if we are referring to the recent events then we just might want to let people know that we won't discuss that at length but it's important to just mention that we are referring to that so if people don't want to listen on for a little while then maybe that's the best thing yeah and like leanne said i don't think we're going to dwell on specifics necessarily we will probably want to touch on what it means for the sector and what it means for the gender nature of the work we do but um the issue i'm very clumsily dancing around is you know the the, the statements from people like um uh, uh Brittany higgins and grace tame and the just the reckoning that seems to be happening particularly at parliament house and uh, at a policy level around the you know leaders of our organization uh, leaders, leaders of our um, uh, country, I should say, um, that just seems to have, I don't know, created what I'm seeing and, and having talked to both of you and being online is just a real feeling of anger, tiredness, frustration. But I mean, as with most of these topics, I'm happy to introduce and just hand over to both of you in terms of your you know, experience and I guess what we think the lessons maybe for the sector are for that stuff. No pressure. Lisa, you go first. Look, I'm not sure if I can talk about lessons for the sector um, because it kind of seems a little bit remote to the sector other than in 
we are a sector filled with 97% women and a lot of women have, as Leanne alluded to, have found the events over this last few weeks quite triggering because in the constant discussion of rape and sexual assault in the media, it does make women who have also experienced that often quite um, distressed. And we know that one in five Australian women have experienced rape or sexual assault, some of us repeatedly. And I think that it's important that we recognise that some of our co-workers, some of our bosses, some of our, you know, um, uh, some of the people that work for us will have had similar sorts of reactions to what I'm talking about. Um, you know, there's no way for a lot of us to hear about other women being treated badly without it also triggering our own response to our own mistreatment. Um, and someone asked me, um, they said, uh, you know, like, this just keeps happening, and it does. Like, we've been through the Royal Commission, we went through um, Grace Tame's stuff initially, we go through the murder of, of women um, in domestic situations, we go through... You know the trial or the 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 you know, whatever the Senate process is called in America of a Supreme Court judge, where someone accuses him of um, sexual mistreatment, and all of those things repeatedly um, bring up what has happened to us as individuals. So it it feels like it's this constant kind of thing, but there's a difference this time. And the difference for me is that instead of having to go through that alone um, and, you know, feeling a sense of shame that I can't get on with my work because all I can do is refresh Twitter and Facebook repeatedly and go onto news sites to see what the latest thing is happening here. Instead of feeling that shame, this time I'm being buoyed by women's anger and anger particularly about how badly our parliament has dealt with the issues, how badly our prime minister has dealt with the issues, but also just the sense of women saying this is enough. And that's what next week on Monday, there's going to be marches in every capital city and a lot of regional areas again as well. I'm going down to Canberra for a march where we're seeking to ring, or not a march, a uh, protest, where we're seeking to ring Parliament House with women who are all just going to carry one message, that this is enough. We've got to stop abusing women like this. We've got to stop not dealing with women's abuse in places like Parliament. And that anger really helps individuals to know that there's other people out there and that everyone is sick of it and tired of it. Was that too heavy? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> not at all. Not at all, Lisa. And I think um, 
mean, just maybe thinking um, on what you're saying, I something that I've noticed this year, which has really bothered me. So I, I think you've taken us to an optimistic space and I'm going to take us to a less optimistic space, which is really unlike the usual dynamic. So maybe it's, you know, it's just a, a different way that we're working on this particular issue. But I, I found this year that I didn't necessarily hear the voices of women during International Women's Day that I have heard in the past. And what I've noticed in the past is that in the last few years, everything's been handed over. You know, there's been a whole day of of women presenting on particular um, radio stations or in television or whatever, and there's been a prioritisation of women's voices. I didn't notice that this time, actually. I found that... Um, that that's, the mic's been taken back, which is really interesting to me. Now, I, I don't know what the rationale is for that, um, and I'd be interested to know. And the other, the other uh, thing that I also noticed was that all the messaging that came through, so I'm, I receive emails from a number of universities and all the messaging that came through about what was happening for women um, in the university system and, and all of these things and how positive everything was actually came from men who are in um, obviously leadership positions within universities. And in actual fact, universities are in quite a terrible state at the moment and the people that are most often affected by the changes and the decisions that are being made by the um, leadership, they're affecting women. And I think I, I just feel profoundly disappointed that, we, to me, there were some changes in that messaging, but I don't understand how, on the on these important days, men still feel that they can send those messages. I just I don't understand it, and I guess I see too much of men on these days stepping forward and taking um, the mic, and I I don't think it's appropriate. I think it's I think it's far better to hear women's voices on, on these days. I couldn't agree more, but I'm wondering if you're just hearing, like if your rec part of that is just your recognition of how many messages go out from men on these days. Even in the early education and care space, I saw a number of messages from male directors, male heads of organisations, etc. It's kind of like... Couldn't you have found a woman somewhere in your organisation to do it? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think it happened more in the past, to be honest. In the past few years, I think this year's been a bit of a change and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, and I guess what we kind of... I, I, I'm not saying it's it's our responsibility, but I guess, you know, we do... We should kind of just be able to step forward on these days and, and have that voice. And, um, yeah, it's been disappointing. Well, look, you could look at it in one good way. If there's lots of messages coming out from men, then it's kind of like, um, you yeah, know, it means that 
the patriarchy's, you know, <laughs> hitting out because they're sensing that there's yeah, change in the so. wind. Yeah, <laughs> I Actually, yeah, that is a, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, because I'm not a great, I'm not a believer in if men are saying it, then maybe it's actually getting some priority because nah. uh, that, just, that just annoys me. And maybe what we, we are having is this, you know, great sort of um, terrible sort of acne that is now coming to a great pustuly sore and it's all bursting out. I, I hope that image is, is yeah, beautiful. Yeah, didn't but, you know, that one. <laughs> sorry. But, I, yeah, I, I think the anger is, yes, it's still, it's really there, isn't it? And it is just uh, until we actually can see some real change and we can feel it and I, I suppose there is change, but this year I just don't feel... That. I think that I, I I feel maybe it's yeah more more power that's being used by men under these circumstances. Anyway, we probably need to bring our male co-host back into this conversation <laughs> because we could forget that we're actually recording you and our listeners. So we better we better just um, invite Liam back here, Liam. Well, uh, if you want my view on how to fix all this stuff, I'm very happy to come forward. No, look, uh, <laughs> look, very happy to just listen. And you know, you know what? I, there's nothing I can add to what you both have said. You know, all I can say is, you know, as a as a, a bloke who's worked in the sector for far too long now, um, and as have we just said, you know, that I've been grappling ethically with this for quite a few months now. Of you know, taking one of those leadership roles as one of the three percent of men in the sector. Um, that could easily be filled by a woman. That's a, probably a whole other podcast. We could we could spend an hour with therapy on that. But um, one of the things I'm grateful for to the early education sector is it's exposed me to discussions like these, which I may not have had, and has dramatically changed my view on these issues. And you, you know, I think the, the the connection to the work in early education. You know, even though I, I don't think we need an excuse to have this discussion, this is the discussion I think everyone should be having. But that. It's hard to think of a, a workforce um, or a sector that is, you know, so dedicated to upholding the unfair sort of patriarchal workplace system than early education and the fact that the gender split is so stark and that the wages and professional respect is so low, but yet there are so many sort of men in leadership positions. It just kind of all, it, it, it all sort of comes together in this one knot of the sector. And I'm, probably my only surprise is that I, I don't. I don't think I see enough anger in the sector. I'm. I'm kind of interested as to why people aren't angry enough that you know this is, yeah, that this is how you know a workforce of women are treated to sort of uphold this, you know, system of perpetual productivity and growth across the across the country. But then the other thing that's sort of just been highlighted for me is just the. Which, which maybe is what's surprising politicians, I think, is just the uh, the incredible articulateness and the voices that are being raised when you look at people like Grace Tame and that press club address, which just still gives me chills thinking about it. And, you know, Brittany Higgins, it, it does feel like there's just this refusal to to stand back anymore. Yeah, that, it's, uh, yeah, I don't think I have a point to anything I've just said, but thank you both for regularly talking to me about this stuff. Anytime. Yes. Anytime, there. You're welcome. <laughs>
Can we go on to the fun stuff now? <laughs> Let's definitely move, yes. We definitely had a bit of a trajectory of having to talk about the not great stuff, but then we wanted to end on. I, we, there are reasons to be optimistic, I think, or I'm hoping there are, because um, maybe we've started this podcast recording without any of us having thought of one, and we've used the first half an hour of this podcast to try and desperately think of one. That is also possible. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to be an absolute coward and go last, and I'm going to uh, pick on maybe Lisa first to see if... Um, is there anything you're feeling optimistic about for the early education sector in 2021, Lisa? Look, can I... Uh, I've got a feeling there might be two things coming. <laughs> I'm not an optimist, right? So I will I will say what I'm optimistic about, but I'll have to say the downfalls of it as well. Um so what I'm optimistic about is that I believe that we will have a workforce strategy by the end of the year, um, a federal workforce strategy, and that's a thing of optimism because we've needed one for quite a while and um, I believe that there's enough people around the, the you know, country now saying we have workforce issues, we do not have enough educators, we do not have enough, um, you know, uh, uh, early childhood teachers and this is going to get worse and we've got to do something about it. So I think that's, you know, great. Uh, I do have concerns about that because if anyone read the ASEQA's um, discussion paper about the workforce strategy last year, and if they put that together with the NQF um, uh, um, the NQF review? Uh, the NQF um Consultation regulation impact statement. They can see what's going to happen in this workforce review so that we're going to have a lot of kind of platitudinous kind of um, things and nothing that actually attacks the real issue, which is things like wages and the the lack of wages so i think we'll end up with amongst other strategies a very nice um uh national um publicity campaign about working for the sector we've got one of those already uh, at the moment don't we uh, no we don't but this will um you know it'll be nice but it won't do anything about the fact that it may well attract people to the sector and then when they discover how hard the work is and how poor the wages are that they go, that they leave immediately. But I am optimistic that we're going to have a strategy, yeah? But I'd also like to do a call out to our members here because I've asked both of you and neither of you can help me. And so I'm not our members. They're not members. Yeah, they're I was going to say, you've got members now. <laughs> There's a small bit of the, there's a small bit of contract on the website. If you listen to the podcast for more than five minutes, you become a member of the association. <laughs> okay, so I've got a problem, right? I happened to to run in to accidentally stumble upon the NQF um, consultation regulatory impact statement a few days ago. Well, that sounds painful. It's dated, Lisa. It's dated January 2021. 
and well, at least I think it is, and it's not January 2020. I think it's January 2021. And I swear I'd never seen the document before, was never told that the document exists before. To me, it just suddenly appeared in the last few days. But it may well have appeared in January with, and I knew about it and went, oh, yeah, I'll get to it later. If anyone knows when that document appeared, can they please tell me, let me know, because I'm very, very puzzled. And can I just ask listeners that if you haven't stumbled across it, then I think it's really important to have a look at because essentially it suggests embedding some workforce relief measures into the regulation that I don't think are very good. Things like extending the 60 days that you can operate without an early childhood teacher to 80 days. Things like just in the way you can replace an early childhood teacher with someone who's kind of done a bit of a degree, that you can do that with diploma positions as well. And things like in New South Wales, if you can't get your third or your fourth ECT, it really doesn't matter. You can get someone else instead. So I think there's a lot of really scary things in there, particularly about workforce. There's other scary things about other things and other good things about other things. But there is some scary things about workforce issues in there that weaken the intent of the NQF. So I think if, like you, you've never heard of this document before, get your hands on it and um, we'll put it up, up in our show notes, won't we, Liam? Absolutely. After you send me the link you stumbled across, I will definitely add it in. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I think people need to have a read of it. And I, so was that optimistic enough or was that very pessimistic? I think points for effort, Lisa. I mean, the fact that you came up with something <laughs> at all. But um, look, I suspect also we will we will have an episode devoted to that uh, in, probably before too long, I would think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you, Lisa. I think it would be good to have something and it's been a huge gap. So the last workforce strategy expired in 2016, I think. I don't know if the government just thought the workforce issues were solved, so we didn't need one. So there might be a bit of a surprise to them that they're not. Um, but I mean, I was never a huge fan of the last workforce strategy, anyway. It was, it was ridiculous. It was well, it was it was not really a complete strategy. Well, there were no actions. It was really, no, and it was pushing it out to the states, and some states performed better than others. Um, but that that was kind of the intention that all the states would do their own thing and produce incredible workforce strategies buoyed by the funds that the Commonwealth gave to them. Yeah, look, yeah, exactly. And look, and maybe, nothing, you know, and some things happened, for example, in Victoria, and some things were very lame, such <laughs> as in New South Wales. <laughs> but I think as well, we just have to acknowledge that a workforce strategy that does not address paying conditions is, mm. you know, fundamentally just not going to work. And we know a federal government workforce strategy is not going to address paying conditions. Yeah. Well, we shot down your optimism, Lisa, pretty, pretty effectively. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But again, points for effort. Um, what, a, what about you, Leanne? Is there anything you can see glimmering, hopefully, well, on the I'm, horizon? I'm, I'm sort of sad that I didn't go first because mine's actually the same as Lisa's um, and it, it is around workforce. I think that there's a much sharper focus on workforce in terms of strategy, in terms of um, you know, uh, advisory committees that are nationally convened. Um, we have uh, the strategy that's coming out of, um, as you 
mentioned Leah Malacca that is about uh, recruiting from uh, the, uh, from other sectors to uh, bring to you know have people change their careers and they come into early childhood but I think that wherever these um, strategies are like Lisa I believe that we always need to mention remuneration because that sits at the very heart of this. It doesn't matter whether we have the best strategy in the world. It comes back to appealing to what we've discussed um, through the week on Twitter between us all about virtue. Um, it comes back to people being virtuous and doing something be because they love it and because it is very important, which we know is why many people get into the for-purpose sector, but why we keep paying people poorly to be in something that actually keeps the fabric of society together and upholds social justice and equality is ridiculous. So wherever we're talking workforce, we have to bring it back to that. But I'm optimistic because we are actually talking about it again, properly for the first time since, as you mentioned, the last, the last strategy was in place. The other thing I think is also where we have a focus again on the early years learning framework with a, ref a review or refresh that's coming up. I, it's not so much what happens to it. Um, I certainly do we hope know who's won the tender to do that yet? That I don't think that's been um, announced yet. But I, what I think is fantastic is that we've now got a focus. We will have a focus back on the early years learning framework. Um, and I recall the introduction of the Early Years Learning Framework as a time where we, as a sector, came around something that had to do with the education of young children, with learning, with development, all of those things, and it did bring people around a common goal. And I hope that this refresh or review does the same thing. Um, and that Can there I just remind you that the initial one happened under... Um uh, not under a conservative government, and this one will happen under a conservative government. Yes, and that's this is my optimism tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Naive optimism. You're going to need it, Leanne Gibbs. <laughs> Doctor Gibbs. Well, you you always feel my optimism is naive, but you know, I I, I feel like I've. I feel like I've taken a little bit of the negative pill tonight, so I'm I'm trying to sort of think about that. And I guess even just to bring the early years learning framework back into view, because I think we've all talked about this where, you know, we do sometimes hear of people who don't even know what it is. And, you know, maybe this is the chance for us to have conversations about it, get involved in feedback, all of those things, and, and, um, and be proactive around children's learning and development. I think that's For something sure. worth being optimistic about. I feel that might have been so profound that you couldn't speak then. Oh, we were <laughs> stunned into silence. But, yeah, look, <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said, Leanne. I find it interesting. So, yeah, there is a – so the uh, LACA, um, which I can never quite remember, the Early Learning and Care Council Australia, I think, have sort of spearheaded this current recruitment drive. I, I think the it's a um, big roles in little lives, I think, Um uh, and you've clearly done with good intentions um, and fairly slickly produced, and I'm sure it will have some impact. But I just. It is a recruitment drive for their members, though. Well, I think there is that. Look, I think 
yeah, I don't think we necessarily need to get into that. I, look, I'm, I'm prepared to work under the assumption that people are addressing a gap and addressing what they see as an issue. The, the issue for me is that this is not the first recruitment sort of focused sort of marketing ad based approach we've seen before. I would love to see some research on whether any of those things have worked. I really suspect they haven't. I suspect they either, as Leanne said, we've we brought in a few people who haven't stayed um, or they just actually haven't been that effective. And I don't think that's the fault of the sector necessarily or the, you know, the marketing, you know, uh, people who have, you know, I'm sure put in a lot of time and effort into these things, but they're just the, the structural issues facing the sector, I don't think are going to be overcome by an ad campaign, but that always seems to be the first thing people leap to. I just wish we could I be know. a little more creative. I know. I just and wish we could be a little more creative. Ridiculously, when I was reading between all the lines today, it was all the peak organisations that you know suggested an advertising campaign. Yes. Well, look, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope this does lead to a flood of you know people joining the sector, and it sort of goes a long way to resolving the recruitment and retention issue. I'm yeah, I'm not listing my optimistic. Well, maybe thing it's yet, the but... combination of strategies. It's the combination of all of these things, and and I think you know really is important that as a sector we bring that conversation back to remuneration, and yeah. that we we keep that regardless of how good these strategies are or whatever they are, whatever kind of comes forward in all of this strategic work, that that has to be at the forefront and I think wherever there are um, ideas that we undermine what are good regulations around qualification and and ratios and all of those things that nothing is given some latitude there because what what happens under those circumstances and I'll just speak a little bit about the regional and remote areas of Australia is they're the areas that suffer because they cannot um, find the people to work in those areas who are qualified and the strategies are not directed at regional and remote, which means that children in regional and remote regions, most disadvantaged areas of Australia, actually we're saying it's okay for those substandard, um, substandard, um, you know, ways of going about things are, are okay. That's okay. Yeah, and, and they're the ones with the largest numbers of. Oh, sorry, what are those things called that <laughs> where you get <laughs> exemptions from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, waivers. 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 That's yeah. right. Sorry. And it's always been that way, hasn't it? Yeah. We've, we've yeah. always seen that, and we see that those areas are those that have lower quality. And it is not, you know, all of these things are structural. But did you know one of the things that I found out today that blew my mind is that. Last, well, not last year, in 2019, there was over 100,000 people studying a Cert 3 or a diploma. Now, given that, you know, I'm not exactly sure how many people we've got working in the sector, but, um, you know, like I know that in, say, New South Wales, there's about... Oh, you know, 65,000 people. So, you know, let's say there's maybe 150, 200,000 people working in the sector across Australia. If we've got 100,000 people studying diplomas and certificates, then we've got a huge rate of people either not finishing them 
or finishing them and leaving the the sector fairly quickly after yeah. they've gotten their qualifications. Yeah, and that's that's. So I'm not sure if an advertising campaign is going to cut the mustard if people are coming in and then leaving then why are we bothering to advertise for people to come in? Well, there's, there's something else that's interesting in the selection of courses and, and the way that people go about choosing their career path. And those those um, qualifications are obviously not translating into jobs. We're not seeing that. But um, a colleague was saying today that the choices that people are making when they're faced with um, an early childhood degree or a primary degree are influenced by parents and family who are saying it's not enough of a career for you to be in an uh, to be in an early childhood teaching role and it's not well paid. Yeah, but mm. I, Leanne, I also think it's about um, the more that universities have to struggle to attract um, entrance to their degrees, etc. They're making, you know, um, teaching degrees sound, you know, like they're promoting their other teaching degrees rather than their not to five mm. degrees because they need more people to enrol. Yeah. Yeah, well, we just and yeah, the university. That's a whole other story, right? Universities. <laughs> yes. Well, I've, I've just realised I can I can add one little extra bit of optimism apart from my main one, which is so I the our organisation received our letters today about the early education workforce census, which I think was put off from uh, at least yes. last year. It might have been the year before. I think it's, I think we're maybe now a couple of years back, but. Data is just so important. It means that once we have, you know, additional data and we can track stuff, it means that they're, they're great advocacy tools. So, you know, I'm looking forward. I don't think we'll know the analysis and what the data won't be released until next year, I assume. Um, but that's, you know, that's something I'm optimistic about. That'll give us some more data for the fight. Mm. But it's a, look, I'm sorry to be pushing this again. No, I, no I looked, this is the optimism section. I know, <laughs> but I looked at the 2013 census today and I looked at the 2016 census. Did we? Who? Who did? Do we have a Liberal government in power in 2013? Uh, well, the, the election was 2013, so it depends. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think it was probably it was the the actual census was done the year before then, and that census was a thing of joy and beauty with lots of really rich, rich, rich. Um, stuff released that you could make all, you know, you could understand a lot of things about the sector. And then the next one was just this really small, didn't say a thing really, um, uh, piece of research. And I think from the amount of time it took to be released, I'd say that there was a lot of government going, no, we don't want to We don't wanna release those figures. We don't want to release that. And so in the end, it ended up like on the double side of an A4 page or something almost. So, you know, I'm really pleased there's a workforce census and I hope that the politicians and the political, you know, interference in that still allows it to be a worthwhile thing. We're going to choose optimism. 
It's going to be yeah. a beautiful ninety-page really footnoted, spreadsheeted. That's what that, we're just going in with that. If view. nothing else, it's going to bring us joy, and it's all about the <laughs> it's all about the individual now, isn't it? It's all about us. That's right. I'm lifting either up. This and is bringing me joy. It is not being thrown out. Liam, what was your big optimism? Um, did you have something else to add there, Leanne? I feel like we we like cut no, you off there. No, I was just going to say that I think our listeners are looking forward to the five part series on the workforce census. Oh, at least, <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least. I want to I want to do a live cross from centres as they're filling it in. <laughs> if we can figure that out, I'd be very excited. Um, look, I, we won't spend too much longer. My mind is a bit left field, so I, I, we're probably not going to be able to get too much into it. But it was, it was probably the only thing I could think of, particularly after you two have covered the other major thing I was thinking of. But I am, there is some part of me, it's maybe not a huge amount of optimism. It might be a 51, 49 thing. But bizarrely, I think the Royal Commission into Aged Care might lead to some rethinking about how we value sort of the work, you know, that that is about supporting um, old people, obviously, and older citizens. But I think it might make us think about what that means in things like early education as well. So if we look at the, um, not being an aged care expert, I've only sort of looked at the summary uh, sort of stuff, but there's so much of the stuff you could map over onto the sector, the, the poor treatment of workers in that space, the lack of respect, the focus on profits over quality. And there's just such a clear parallel between those two things. And while there is plenty of evidence for royal commissions that have come and gone and not much has changed. So the, I'm you know, glad you said that. Yeah, so the banking you know, royal commission is a good one. There are some examples where they have led to dramatic changes. So we look at the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse has led to some pretty significant changes. We have the National Principles for Child Safe Organisations. We have um, the Redress Scheme and we have, you know, governments going pretty hard about chasing people up. So I don't know, maybe too early to say, but there's just some part of me that thinks, you know, maybe as a country post-COVID looking at, you know, what our economy looks like, we might look at that kind of work and go, we can't continue doing this in this way. We will have... The government's already committed a huge amount more funding to uh, to address some things already, and this is before responding to all of the um, all of the recommendations. It may not directly impact early childhood even this year, but I just wonder if it will lead to the, the stories are so horrific, and the the uh, the government is going to be pretty brave to not implement you know the vast majority of these recommendations, and I just think there's no way you can look at that and go, well, hang on, if we're doing that work, you know, one end of life spectrum. How are we not doing it at the at the start? So that's there's some part that's of me that's being so optimistic. Wildly optimistic, Liam. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> it's all I've got, oh, Lisa. Love it. It's all I've got. Yeah, but maybe maybe there's an opportunity to kind of bring it into that sharp focus. You know, as you say, it's like the, there's so many there's so much alignment between the workforce, for example, or all, all of those things. It, it, it's a good opportunity. I think even if it just gives us more advocacy sort of um, uh, I hate the battle terminology but I can't think of anything but ammunition but more you know advocacy strings to our bow whatever to go Mm. well hang on if you're doing this work in this space the exact same issues are here and at least gives us more you know more um, lines to to take in our advocacy fights yeah we get t-shirts printed that just say profit doesn't work in aged care profit doesn't work in childcare." Well, profit doesn't work in human services. So yeah. anything to do with people humans who are, are moving not for profit. and breathing, yeah, they're not for profit. Maybe we'll just make humans are not for profit T-shirts. I like that. 
Yeah. I'm on board. Well, that's optimistic. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're, we're starting a clothing line. I'm pretty optimistic about that. <laughs> At a bookshop, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we didn't talk about that uh, in the what we did in our summer holidays, not to begin wrapping this up, but um, I felt guilty about the, the wonderful board game you two bought me for Christmas. I immediately felt guilty, and I very quickly whacked the early education show logo on a mug and sent that to you both. But... um. And I was really looking forward to seeing yeah. your one when I visited your house, Lisa. I'm but but sorry. What, what happened there? I broke it the minute I got it. <laughs> I, I actually, I ha- I could ring my phone with all of the tears that were coming out of it when Lisa told me. You know, my my phone was dripping with the tears, Liam. I about I felt so bad because you put all this effort into it and it was a thing of beauty and I just dropped it. Well, well what about this, though? This is just to take the attention away from the, the terrible travesty that was committed. It came to my house and Scott, who knows you well there, <laughs> said, Liam McNicholas, I don't know who that is, sent it back to the post office. <laughs> So I I just want to say that this podcast is very meaningful for us. I I did not know a mug could cause this much anguish. (laughs) Did you ever get it back again, Leanne? Yes, I went straight to the post office after berating Scott. (laughs) And 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 he said, and when I got to the post office, he went, no, mate, no, that will have gone back to the supplier. I'm like, please, please. (laughs) And then he brought it out like some beautiful piece of gold and said, here it is. And it was a magical moment. (laughs) And it still has pride of place somewhere in your house. It does. Leanne. It does. Oh. And it, it and I didn't put any whiskey in it for tonight. I don't drink whiskey. I don't know why, but it just seems like a good thing to drink during a podcast. <laughs> um, but I'm going to next time. Can't wait. Well, I'm going to have to send you an updated one, Lisa, but we're just going to have to ask you to treat it a little bit more gently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's... Wait until you get the, the PhD cap on Leanne. Oh, that's right. When we do the update, that's... I mean, that is definitely... <laughs> oh, how much will I have to pay Annabelle for that? Because I feel like her, she should be paid for it. I think her, her rates are only getting higher, Leanne, so we better, we, we, we better get onto this pretty soon. You is know, it going to be like books? Is that what we're going to have to do here? It might be. You know, it'll be, it'll be some dragon-based graphic novel that you're going to have to... Okay. We'll, we'll, look, we, we will negotiate later. Leanne. Oh, I'll, yes. I'll, I'm just going to organise my 10% cut um, <laughs> and then I'll get back to you. But look, so lovely to speak to you both again after probably too long away, but um, we're, we're glad to be back now. Uh, we'll be continuing each fortnight for the foreseeable future while we can drag ourselves in front of these microphones there is a lot happening i think in the sector this year and we are looking forward to bantering about it all thank you again to everyone yeah and i have to say coming on and doing this it's made me feel optimistic i wasn't feeling that started yeah i'm happy with that that's a look beautiful beautiful spot to end the episode so (laughs) we will be back again in a fortnight and thanks again for joining us and welcome if you're joining the the, the crazy journey that is the early education show but we'll speak to you again next fortnight you have been listening to the early education show You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. 
The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.